Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. What you don't know is that song was not planned to be sung today, but the one singing with the choir turned up sick, and so Jerry just carries those around in his pocket, (laughs) and so does Amy Conley, and they just brought it, but it couldn't be a more perfect song for what we're talking about today, and that is the love that God has put in our hearts. And one way that you're going to know that a person is born again is by the love that they show other people. First John chapter three, it's been a month since we've been here. We had a, a um, missions fair, we had Palm Sunday, we had Easter, and some of you look much happier today than you did last week because you're back in your seat. <laughs> Somebody's not in your seat. I wanna remind you that John's the old apostle writing to a church that's full of heretics. Gnostics. And the Gnostics were dividing the congregation because they weren't teaching the truth. They were suggesting that they were better than other people. They were causing all kinds of issues. And John doesn't hesitate to remind people who real Christians are, authentic Christianity. He said, you're going to see it in the way that they live. You're going to see it in the way that they believe, they're gonna, you're going to see it in the way that they love other people. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're made known, they're unveiled. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. A woman had not been in church a few weeks. When she returned, she was surprised that another woman who normally snubs her and did not like her and went out of her way to avoid her came running up to her and hugged her. And she was wondering how and what in the world has happened to her. And then she found out at the end of the service when the pastor said, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you just can't stand. (laughs) 
Now, if loving somebody was as simple as giving them a hug, we could handle that. We could just make ourselves hug somebody and move on. But loving somebody in the way that God loves people is a continuous effort. You see, it costs you something. It's, it's inconvenient. It's a huge battle. And for this reason, John never gets tired of telling people to keep loving one another. This is the, the son of thunder. Remember, Jesus called him and and John, James and John, the sons of thunder. Well, now the son of thunder is the apostle of love. He always uses the term, the apostle that Jesus loved. John had seen the love of Christ demonstrated. He probably remembered the time that Jesus took the basin of water and washed the feet of the disciples. And then right after that, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Some of you may remember the old chorus years ago. Some of you are way too young to remember it. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And you keep repeating that. And then you said, and then we sang, and we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And the chorus went, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. That's what John is saying here. He kind of uses some different levels. He talks about murder and hatred and then indifference and then Christian love. And so we're going to look at that for just a minute. It's many churches today or or the many churches that John was was seeing didn't have the love for one another. Love in a church is critical. Someone penned it this way. Love is the circulatory system of God's church. If the arteries of love get clogged, the church is in danger of a spiritual cardiac arrest. And I don't know if you've ever been in churches where people didn't love one another. I have. I've been in churches where everybody was kin to one another. (laughs) That makes it real interesting because they don't leave all of their family feuds outside. They bring them inside. Let's talk about this for a minute. First of all, notice John talks about the absence of love. In verse 11, he said, you've heard this from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. Do not marvel if the world hates you. Apparently, the absence of love was was apparent or was in a lot of the churches that were under John's oversight and care. You may not have murdered anybody physically, but have you ever used any hateful words towards someone? You see, the mark of this world that we live in now is hate. We live around a lot of hate. People hate one another. They don't They hate the truth. They think the truth is hate. And if they disagree or you disagree with them, they hate you. We're seeing more and more of hate coming into the world. Now, where's that from? We know where it's from. It's from Satan himself. But first, John gives the commandment to love in verse 11. He said, listen, you've heard the message from the beginning. 
You, you remember the words of Jesus. He, he, in Romans 5, 5, it says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. He told the Thessalonians, you don't need that I write to you about love, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. One of the marks, when, you, when Christ comes into your life, he puts love in your heart. Now, love I'm talking about here is not an emotion. You know, we, we get that all mixed up. In love in, in, this, in this country, it's all about emotions. I feel something. This kind of love is not the kind of love that's a feeling. It's a choice. Agape love is something you do. God loves us and even when we don't love him. He loves the world that hates him. It's not an emotion. Now, I believe he's got some emotion involved with it. But the fact is, the kind of love that God puts in our heart is not emotional. Because some days I don't feel like loving anybody. Feel like it. But I choose to do it because God's love, which is perfect, compels us to do that. I love what children think about Pastor got a couple of letters from children said, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he has never met my little brother. <laughs> Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my big sister won't be there. <laughs> and here's some little limericks or, or lyrics. To dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints below, well, that's another story. And then listen to this, to love mankind, I always find to be a simple task. To have love for the man next door is more than one should ask. Love's full and free when two agree. It isn't hard at all, but it, easy it ain't to love the saint who drives me up the wall. When someone's kind and has Christ's mind, I love him with great ease. But one who hurts with words, he blurts, don't make me love him, please. If no one needs my loving deeds, I love unstintingly. But hungry saints with real complaints should stay away from me. There are a lot of people that have that idea and have that attitude. We are told one of the marks of a believer is to love other people. Why do you even care about somebody that's not here today? Well, some would say, well, I don't care. <laughs> But the fact is, why do we even care about the people who are not in church, who don't love Jesus, who, who don't know him as Savior? Why do we go to the, all the trouble of trying to reach them? Why do we go to the trouble of investing in God's Word or sending missionaries or planting churches to do things to reach people who don't give a rip about God? I'll tell you why. We can't help it. Because the love of God that saved you and me is now in our hearts, and we can't help it. But John also states the contrast of love. Sometimes to define something that's vague is helpful to look at the opposite of it, and so the contrast to love is hatred. John contrasts love that we have for one another and Cain's murder of his brother with Cain's murder of his brother Abel. And since the opposite of love is hatred, how do you define hatred? A selfish, insensitive attitude 
that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interest. In other words, hatred basically says, I'll help you if it helps me, or if it's not too much of a hassle, but if it comes down to you or me, I'm looking out for me. And we look at hatred as something that characterizes the unbelieving world. He's, he, John is saying, because the love of God is not in them, you're going to see it in the world. And you see a lot of it with all the religious people that, that hate other people and take their lives and kill them. And John uses the example of Cain and Abel. Now, Cain incidentally is the only proper name used in the first, second, and third John other than Christ and God. And so he's the, he's the only Old Testament reference by name. Why do you think he chose Cain as an example? Some things to think about. Cain was the first person born under the curse of the world. Adam and Eve ascend. Cain was the first one born under the curse of sin. And his hatred for his brother Abel typifies what's really in the heart of all of us. We all have a fallen, sinful nature, and we're self-centered. And the extreme of self-centeredness is murder. It's all about you or me. The roots are there. Hatred is an intense feeling, the desire to get rid of a person. The question is not so much about what did you do, but what did you want to do? The attitude's the same. Cain was a murderer, and we know that his, it shows his spiritual lineage. He was of the wicked one, it says. Now, the word wicked one, poneros, speaks of evil in active opposition to good. It's organized evil. There's another word for evil, kakos, K-A-K-O-S, which speaks of an evil man who, who's willing to die in his own corruption. But parnaros means you want to drag everyone else with you. Well, who does that represent? Satan, the wicked one. When you think about it, hatred finds its source in the devil. You say, well, no, it comes out of the human heart. Well, you got to go a little deeper than that because the murderer from the beginning was Satan himself. And the love of God, that didn't come out of the human heart. God puts that love in our life. And we, we show that in the way we live. Hebrews 11.4 says that Abel offered a better sacrifice by faith. Now, why did Cain butcher his brother? That's the words used here. He said murdered. It's pretty graphic. Butchered him. Why? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. We're told something about them in the book of Genesis. They were both religious. And God required a sacrifice from them. Now, why, God instituted sacrificing animals. In fact, the first sacrifice that was made, or first animals that were killed, God did it when he clothed Adam and Eve after they sinned. 
So an innocent animal had to cover the sin or cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And, and so why did sacrificing animals come into play? Because it's, it's, it's a horrible thing to do. And God said, I want you to see the horribleness of sin. And so sacrifice was required. And Abel gave a sacrifice of the first things of his flock. But Cain, on the other hand, gave grain from his crop. Well, there's nothing wrong with giving grain, but that's not what God required. And so... Do we know that Cain knew what to do? Yes. Why? Think about it. Had anybody died physically before Cain killed Abel? No. But he knew death could come because he knew that the sacrifice of animals brought death. And so Cain did what a lot of people do in this, on this earth, and he created his own religion. Abel brought a sacrifice by faith. Cain didn't. He didn't do it God's way. He disobeyed God. Abel is shown in Hebrews 11 uh, by giving a better sacrifice than faith, by faith. But at best, hatred disobeys God. And so Cain killed Abel because he was jealous, because he had been, Abel had been accepted by God as far as the sacrifice. But Cain showed down deep who he was. That makes sense. Y'all looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. <laughs> God instituted a pattern of sacrifice to bring men to himself, but Cain became the first to pervert it and turn it into murder. At best, hatred becomes indifference or avoidance of another, causing separation and distance in relationships. At worst, selfishness and hatred become murder. James 4, 1 through 2. Most people have never murdered anybody physically. But the only difference between hate and murder is the act. The attitude is the same. There are a lot of haters in this world who don't murder anybody because they're afraid that they'll get caught. But you'd like for them to go away. You're kind of like Clarence Darrow, who was a famous criminal lawyer, that said everyone is a potential murderer. I've not killed anyone, but I frequently get satisfaction out of the obit notices, obituary notices. Or maybe you're like the lady who said she was given a testimony of the transformation of her life. She said, I'm so glad I got religion I have an uncle I used to hate so much that I vowed I'd never go to his funeral, but now I'd be happy to go to his funeral. That's questionable, right? In verse 13, he said, stop marveling. Stop being so shocked. The world's going to hate you. And the world does hate Christians. Because they're of the evil one. Cain is a prototype of the world. He manifested the ugly qualities of Satan himself 
Satan opposes God, his children, Satan's children, Satan's captives are going to oppose believers. Tell me, are Christians being more and more ridiculed and attacked today? You know why? Because Satan doesn't like us. In fact, he hates us. In fact, Jesus said about him that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the contrast to love. So when somebody lives that way, you've got to question something's wrong with them. Now, John goes to the affirmation of life. This verse is a verse of assurance, verse 14. We know. I love when it says we know something. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now, the new King James, the King James has his brother in there. It's not in the earliest manuscripts. It basically says if you don't have love in your heart, there's something wrong. A person who loves God is going to love other people. He's going to seek their highest good. And and the construction of this verse indicates something. Notice, it said, you've passed from death, which means you were dead. You were dead spiritually. You've passed to life, which is the perfect tense, which means that something happened at a point in time, and it's still going on, and the result is not a condition. The result is you're going to abide with love. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love People, not just Christians, we love people. I've already asked you, why do you even care about people? I, I'm so thrilled when, I, when people, when, when guests come and, and I get to meet them and, and they say, you know, I've been treated so kindly and so warmly and so friendly and, and it, it blesses my heart because you know why? You're a wonderful people. You're a wonderful group of people. Most of you are. <laughs> and you know why you are? Because the love of God is in your life. And that's what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to have a care and a concern. And, and those who aren't that way, it says they abide in death. Now, that doesn't mean all of them are lost. Just because somebody has a bad day doesn't mean they're lost or unsaved. But the love of God abides in you. It dwells in you. It's welcome. You're, it's going to live there. Uh, let's just get it out in the open. Every now and then, all of us have a day when somebody gets on our last nerve. And hopefully you're not around a lot of people. But John, but John says, he who does not love continuously, if, if it's not there, there's something wrong. And the reason is this. Let me share with you some of the characteristics of God's love. First of all, love is the greatest virtue. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I have faith to move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I own to the poor and have not love, I am nothing. If I die as a martyr but don't have love, I am nothing. If I'm the greatest preacher in the world but don't have love, I'm like a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. We learn as preschoolers, God is love. 
Love is also the greatest commandment. Jesus himself says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And the second is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love is the greatest motivation. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. In John 21, when, when Peter is confronted by Jesus and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He did not, Jesus did not say, Peter, do you love my sheep? He said, do you love me? And as a result of that, you're going to do this. It's the motivation. What motivates us to even continue to try to reach people for Christ? What motivates us to do what we do? We exist for two reasons. Well, for a lot of reasons. But one, we're the bastion of truth. We are required to uphold the truth. Not a truth, the truth which is Jesus Christ and his word. We also exist for the people who are not here yet. So when we have new people join us or come in to visit, what's the attitude? I'm so glad you're here. Not, I hope they don't get my seat. You know, I've been a Baptist all my life. I can talk about us all I want. I have earned that right. I know. I know how church people are. I know. I am one. Love is also the greatest testimony. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So many church people are like Peanuts cartoon I saw where Schroeder you know, Schroeder was a guy who plays piano all the time. And Lucy's always in love with him, always trying to get his attention. He never pays her any attention. So she asked Schroeder one day while he's playing the piano, Schroeder, do you even know what love is? Schroeder abruptly stopped his playing, stood to his feet, said precisely, love, a noun, to be fond of, a strong affection for an or an attachment or devotion to a person or persons. He sat back down and started playing. Lucy sat there stunned, and then she murmured sarcastically, on paper, he's great. <laughs> I also saw Peanuts cartoon where Lucy's saying to Charlie Brown, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown said, but I thought you had inner peace. She said, I do, but I also still have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> Only when Jesus changes your life does some of that obnoxiousness go away. Oh, it still flares up every now and then. You know, we can do stuff that reminds us of things we didn't used to do. That's what golf is for me. It's hard on my Christianity. <laughs> my obnoxiousness shows up when I play. Vaughn Roberts put it this way. When you love people who are like you, that's ordinary. When you love people who are unlike you, that's extraordinary. When you love people who dislike you, that's revolutionary. The world doesn't love that way. 
John also talks about the action of love. Love is a verb. There are two truths here that I want you to see. One is the example of Christ in verse 16. By this we know love. We've experienced it. We've had it because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for people. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The example of Jesus, Jesus came to rescue us. He loved us. He died for you and me. We celebrate the resurrection last Sunday. We can celebrate the resurrection again today. He's still alive. But I want you to understand that he loved you and me that he died in our place he took our place he laid it willingly and that's what he's speaking of this is a sharp contrast to Cain Cain took a life Jesus Christ laid down his life for us totally opposite. But also there's an exhortation to us. There's a, he, he challenges us. He exhorts us. He tells us, he said, you have something. And one way that you can show it when you have the world's goods. Now it doesn't mean rich people. He's talking about the normal stuff that you and I have to live food, clothing, and things of that nature. And he said, when you see somebody that is in need and you can meet that need, you need to take a look. And you close your heart. A couple of things about this term brother. It doesn't mean just Christians. It means people in general. Now, what does it mean? First of all, you need to be aware. You need to open your heart if, a, if you see a brother, a brethren, a mankind, the word see means to look with understanding, to look beyond, to be aware, to take your eyes off of you all the time and think about other people. The expert in Jewish law came to Jesus and asked him how to, etern- how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said... What is the greatest law? And the man said, love, your, love God with all your heart, with love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you are correct. And then the man said, well, who is my neighbor? And he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And of course, the two religious people passed by without looking, and the Samaritan saw the man. We need to be aware of other people. When, when God's love is in your heart, it's not all about you. Now, obviously, we have that selfish nature. We came into the world selfish. Do you, have you noticed little babies? Aren't they unselfish? No. Heavens, no. They don't care about you. They don't care if you got to feed them or clean up after them or wake you up. They don't care. It's all about them. But as you mature, hopefully you get past some of that. I've known some grown-ups who still haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but, but you open your eyes to other people, and God puts in you the need to see others and to help. Can you help everybody? No. 
You can't help everybody, but you can help as the Holy Spirit leads you to help them. And it's the second thing. He said, open your hands. Put it in action. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, John says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let us not love in words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And the word truth here is an idiom that was used in John's day that said actually or really. In other words, it would say this, let us love in action, really, actually, yes. The action kind of love stands out because our society tends to think love is a feeling. It's something we feel. Agape love is something that God puts in our heart. It's a choice. When the feeling goes away, you're not in love in the way the world looks at it. But according to our fallen nature, commitment is required only as the feeling remains. But God says just the opposite. The love is not something you feel. It's something you do. Now, I'm going to get up close and personal, then I'm going to stop. First, let me give you an illustration. May 29th, 1914. A ship called the Empress of Ireland sank. More people died on that one than did on the Titanic. On board were 130 Salvation Army officers. 109 of them drowned. And when they were picking the bodies up of these people who had drowned... All 109 of the Salvation Army officers that had drowned did not have a life vest on. The survivors testified how the Salvation Army officers, realizing there were not enough life preservers to go around, began to go around people telling them they could have theirs. Even to strong men they went up to, and they would even say, I can die better than you can and gave the life jacket to someone else to survive. Well, as Christians, we can die better than other people can. We know where we're going to go when we die, but, but also just knowing that we can die to ourselves here because we know who we are. Now, let me get up close and personal. Probably you're not ever going to have to physically die for someone. The chance may happen. You may do that. But what about dying to self, being inconvenienced? Maybe you're going to be asked to give up some of your precious time. The question is, how do you handle that? How do you handle the Lord's work? What if your neighbor needs help with getting his lawnmower fixed? Or what if your neighbor needs a ride to work? Or what if... The boss asks you to stay to work late. What if the church needs you to help in the preschool or children's area or to cook for the youth group or to visit someone in the hospital or to serve on the AV team? What about that kind of stuff? Well, that's where you say, Lord, where can I be used? And if I can help the greater good here, I want to be part of it. I can tell you right now, we are hurting for volunteers in a lot of areas. And we got a big army here. Just need some more people to open up their hearts and say, you know what, I can help. 
We need help in the preschool area. Like you can't imagine, I had 150 preschoolers last week. Very few volunteers. We're not asking you to shine your life away. You don't even have to miss a whole Sunday morning. Just one service to help every now and then. Every so many weeks, the more volunteers we have. We need help on the parking lot. We need help at the doors. We need help everywhere. This is a big sheep herd. (laughs) You may not be laying down your life literally, but you can help by saying, Lord, I can think of some others and I can help. That's the kind of love that John is calling us to. Not to look down on anybody, not to be indifferent to anyone. And and again, you have to allow the Lord to, to lead and guide you. Don't do it out of guilt. Every time I pass somebody standing there on the corner asking for money, I feel guilty. Sometimes the Lord leads me to help, sometimes he doesn't. I can't explain that to you. You have to do what God leads you to do because you can't help everyone. But I'm talking about just simple things. It doesn't always have to cost money, but time and abilities and talents to use them. But that's the kind of love as John is calling us to, the kind of love the world is waiting for. This is the kind of love that Christ has for you. And if you don't know the love of God, I I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, he, he loves you. He sent Jesus. He loved you enough to, to pay the price for your sin and will save you and deliver you and put, puts love in your heart. I'll, I'll warn you, he might, he, might actually, he might actually lead you to be nice to somebody you don't like. <laughs> and you won't be able to help it. Because you're going to realize how much sin you've been forgiven of. Whatever somebody's done to you, you can forgive them too. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for these today that have listened so intently and so patiently. And I pray, Father, that those who need to know your love would sense that even now. That they might turn from their sin, asking you to forgive them, placing their faith in Jesus Christ and trust and inviting him into their life, that your love would shine in our hearts. And I pray for believers, Lord, that sometimes we kind of get wrapped up in our own little world and we think we're the only ones that have something in needs. I pray you'd help us to see other people, to help. I pray for volunteers to come, Lord. We need them so badly. I pray that you'd help people to to say, you know, I want to be part of your kingdom and what you're doing. And pray for those that need to be baptized. I pray for those that need a church home. I ask you, God, to bring them even now. In Jesus' name, would you quietly stand? Would you keep your heads bowed? And if there's a a decision on your heart, these men will pray with you as you come. Would you come right now while we wait? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.